Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And Alex, the title of today's show says it all, and this is where I want to start, and and you can decide. Do we go with the positive takeaways from Sunday's game first or the negatives? Because this was an ugly game for about 34, 35 minutes for the Patriots. They end up closing it out with a comeback victory over the Houston Texans in a comeback that felt totally necessary to save their season. You can't drop to one and four. So the Patriots saved their season by coming back against Houston, but certainly a lot of negative takeaways from this game as well. Well, let's put it this way. We said all week that the Celtics were going to have to escape from Houston with an ugly win. They escaped from Houston with an ugly win. Over the last two weeks, the, 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 the did I say Celtics? You did. I wasn't going to okay. correct we you. Were we, were just... new, we were talking about the new Celtics floor before this. I'm sorry. Um, we said all week the Patriots were going to have to escape Houston with an ugly win. They escaped Houston with an ugly win. Over the last two weeks, the Patriots have put together one winning effort and one not-so-winning effort. They're one and one with those games. In those games. Everything is going exactly the way we said it. <laughs> If you don't look any deeper than that. I, I guess in an obscure way, we, we can we can say that. I want to start with positives because I'm in a, a decent mood today. And, and let's start with the positives and then we can get into some of the negatives. The biggest positive takeaway on the offensive side of the football for the Patriots, I guess you could go either way with that. One, I, I think what you continuously see from Mac Jones is really encouraging. And I wrote my film review, took some shots at some people that are trying to downplay what we've seen from the rookie quarterback through five starts, because ultimately, I think that a lot of these people that are saying that what Mac Jones is doing is 
is not good enough or not impressive or they don't want to crown him yet. I, I can understand that to a degree that you don't want to crown him yet. He, he didn't earn a red jacket in five games, right? It, we're, we're not right. there yet. But it's almost like those people are seeing this through a Brady lens where everything has to be as good as it was with Tom Brady for it to be good. And, and so far, Mac Jones has been really, really good if you just evaluate him in a vacuum of a rookie quarterback making his first starts in the NFL and look at the product he's putting on tape, you can be really encouraged. The, the second thing I would say is that a lot of these people that are downplaying what Mac Jones is doing also like to say that Brady made Belichick and that the Patriots need more weapons. And yet then they're also saying on the other breath that Mac is in this great situation. So which one is it? Is Mac in a great situation or did Brady make Belichick and the Patriots don't have enough weapons? Because you can't have it both ways, right? You can't say that the Patriots don't have enough firepower on offense, but Mac was handed this great situation playing for Bill Belichick in this offense. And that's why he's performed well. He's performed well. The kid's been good. Has he been excellent? Has he been elite? No, we're not there yet. But Mac Jones has been good. He's been accurate. And most importantly, maybe among, amongst everything, is the poise, right? The cool and the calm under he pressure. He got cut, Evan. He got cut. He got cut. The, he bleeds. And the cool and the calmness under pressure, it, really throughout the entire season, Mac has not folded in the big moments against Miami, against Tampa Bay, this week against Houston. He has risen to those occasions, and that's what you want to see. If you're a Patriot fan, you want to see your quarterback rise to the moment when the lights are brightest, and Mac Jones seems to be able to do that. So here's what I think about Mac Jones, and I I think part of the problem when talking about Mac Jones, and in a sense this existed last year with Cam Newton as well, uh, in kind of a different context. There's two separate conversations going on at once about Mac Jones. Yeah. There's what he's doing right now, the quarterback he's been through five weeks with no context, and then there's the bigger picture. And I think that's where some of these – I talked about this on the on the pregame show on 98.5 on Sunday because I was on with Chris Gasper, uh-huh. who has his opinions about Mac Jones, and Mark Bertrand, who has his opinions about Mac Jones, and they're, they're pretty opposite. And, you know, credit to them. We had a really good conversation. Um if you look at it in a bubble, so if you forget he's a rookie, if you forget it's his first year in the system, just throw all that out. He has been just another guy. I, and to me, just another guy means average. And has he been great? No. Has he been bad? No. He's just kind of been there. He's done that. And I, in just a, that's just in a bubble. And I feel like some people, when, when people like you rave about Mac Jones, they come back with, well, what is it? Five touchdowns, five interceptions. How is that great? The reality is that you can't look at it in a bubble because he is a rookie quarterback. He is in his first year in the system. And when you look at what he's done as a starting point, instead of the 100% evaluation, and you say, okay, this is what he's shown me, and he has now time to progress, then that's absolutely worthy of getting excited about. I think when any team goes through and call it whatever you want, a rebuild, a reset, a retool, the Patriots re-whatevered over the last two years. And anytime you re-something, you have to get a new quarterback. That is the first box you have to check. Until you do that, you can't progress on to the rest of your rebuild. And has Mac like is Mac Jones has Mac Jones made me think he's going to be a league MVP one day? 
no, I haven't seen that. He probably won't be. But he's shown me enough that, hey, we can check that first box. He's going to be the quarterback here. He belongs in the NFL. He should be a guy they can at the very least build around. And after what we went through last year, not to knock Cam Newton, but just the overall uncertainty of the quarterback position, to be able to move on from that is very exciting. So I think that's where the disconnect comes from. Because some people talk about how excited they are about Mac Jones when the other side talks about how can you possibly be that excited off of a two and three start when he has five interceptions in five games, they're different. And that's the unfortunate part about this is we're not allowed to use nuance in this conversation. Either Mac Jones is the next Tom Brady or Mac Jones was the worst draft pick of all time. You can't live in that middle ground. And that's the reality of it. Mac Jones through five games has been good, not great. But for a rookie coming into this offense to look good, not great is a monumental accomplishment and I think it's something Patriots fans absolutely should be excited about. Cautious optimism, optimism, but be excited about. If Max still looks like this in a year or in two years, yeah, it's going to be time to dial it back. And that might be cause for concern. But if he's going to grow from here and this is his starting point, it's it, it's totally fair to be excited about it. Right. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's exactly what it is. And, and the frustration that I have is that, People like our friend Christopher Gasper want Mac Jones to be more than a Jag five games into his NFL career when that just doesn't happen. I mean, I, I go find me an NFL quarterback that was that good, that was more than just an average QB in his fifth NFL start. It certainly wasn't Peyton Manning, who is probably the second coming for most well, people. Manning. Peyton Manning led the league in interceptions as a rookie. He set the rookie record for interceptions. That's right. That's okay? Right. He set the rookie record for interceptions. Peyton freaking Manning set the rookie record for interceptions. And then when and I'm not saying that Mac Jones is going to be Peyton Manning, I'm just saying that very, very few, if any, rookie quarterbacks get dropped into the league and excel immediately. I think the only two that can really come to mind in the last 20 years are Dak Prescott and Ben Roethlisberger. And both of those guys... I, I, I'd throw Justin Herbert in there. Justin Herbert has been good, but he didn't win games, right? Oh, you, know, oh, you, mean, you mean team success, not individual I, success. I mean okay. all of it, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean all enough. of it. Justin Herbert was very good last year, but he didn't make the Chargers an instant playoff the team success. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Andrew That's Luck, maybe, I think is probably the the other one. Well, I right? would say RG3 more than Luck because the Colts didn't make the playoffs that year, did they? I know Washington did. The, I, I think the Colts, the Colts went 11-5 and, and, and made the playoffs in Luck's first year, but I could be wrong about that. Regardless of all of that, the point being is that five games in in the fifth game of anybody's NFL career, any NFL start, you're – all you're looking for at this point is foundational building blocks. Is Mac Jones executing the scheme that the way they want it? Is there things that we can say Mac is good at this, Mac is good at that, Mac is good at here and this? Accuracy, decision-making in terms of processing and coverage reads, all those types of things, I think Mac Jones, we can sit here right now and say he's good at these things in the NFL, not in college, not on the Alabama tape, but on the NFL Patriot tape, he's running this, these things good and efficiently and well. And if you can't separate that and all you want to have the conversation is about what he's looked like in five games relative to what the greatest quarterback of all time looks like right now down in Tampa, then you're moving the goalposts. 
you're moving the goalposts. You're having a separate discussion. And the other thing that I, I would just say about this, and then I want to get into some of the good plays and we can talk about some of the stuff that, that wasn't so good for Mac is that the Patriot offense as a core belief is unspectacular. And, and what I mean by that is that they do not want the Patrick Mahomes off his back foot, rolling to his left, 60-yard bomb to Tyree Kill. They they look at that play and they say replicating that play over and over and over again throughout the course of a season, unless you are Patrick Mahomes, is very unlikely. But the play that you can replicate is the 10-yard completion on third and three to Nelson Aguilar or the throw to Hunter Henry in the end zone for the touchdown that Mac threw. They want to be clean. They want to be efficient, and they don't want to be an offense that is going down the field and bombs away, right? They don't want to be that. And if no. you want that, then go root for the Chiefs, right, or, or go root for the Buffalo Bills because they got players like that, and they're putting up great offensive numbers doing it. Uh, well. and, uh, the Chiefs defense sucks, but well, they have great players on offense, right? Yeah. So the Patriots philosophy is to play a style of offense that Mac Jones is playing right now. Has it been perfect? Absolutely not. But the fact is, is that he's executing it to a, I would say 80 to 85% level right now. And all that they need to get him to go into the nineties and be 95 proficient at it is marginal decision-making upgrades. And I, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but well, hang this, on. I would just say that game plan, that, that philosophy you described sounds like something somebody tried convincing you of. They were doing three weeks ago and you were all no, 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 no. I'm just you wanted to run the football a hundred times. I, 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 no, I, I said net neutral quarterback. You let everybody else make no, 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 no. running as part I, of that. I am not talking about net neutral quarterbacks. I am talking about the Patriots wanting to be an efficient offense over the Patriots hunting big plays, right? This is not an offense that is hunting big plays like an offense like Kansas City does or like an offense like Tampa Bay does to a degree or even some of these other offenses. And those offenses are great because they have great players. But the Patriots run a system that is about efficiency through the air and is about being able to hit the type of throws that I'm going to show here in a second that Mac Jones has been able to hit. So I want to start with, with this play here on third down, okay? Because, again, we're, we're talking so much about all this crap about, oh, you know, air yards and, and, and how difficult of a throw is this and all this kind of crap. I don't I really don't care anymore. Like, I, I just think we're getting lost in all this. So this is a third and three on the Patriots opening drive. And initially, when the Texans come out, come out here and line up, this looks like it's man coverage, right? At the top of the screen, you have these corners up on these receivers and man coverage. The Patriots are going to send Kendrick Bourne in motion across the formation to give Mac Jones a coverage indicator. So they start in too high. They got this man-to-man -man look here on the right side. And as he comes in motion, Kendrick Bourne, they're going to walk this safety up to the line of scrimmage. And now all of a sudden, here we are. We're, we're in a more of a zone look, right? You see the corner at the bottom of the screen taking this off coverage technique here with his eyes pointed towards the backfield. And as the play rolls a little bit longer, you're going to see the top of the screen corner do the exact same thing. Here he comes off and he's bailing here at the top of the screen. This is not 
This is not sexy. This is not going to win you any any uh, style points here from Mac Jones. But what he recognizes is that when he sells this play-action fake here with Brandon Bolden, that's going to keep these linebackers right here at the line of scrimmage in the formation and into the run fit. And Nelson Aguilar is just going to run an in-cut on this outside leverage corner, and Mac's just going to hit him on third and three, and they're going to move the chains. And I, I get that this is not, oh, ah, this isn't so impressive, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that when I see Mac Jones play in this system, his eyes nine times out of 10 are in the right place. It's actually pretty incredible for a quarterback as young as he is that he's always looking in the right areas, right? It's not, the coverage reads are not the problem with him, right? That's never been a problem. So Here's the passing lane, right? Those linebackers get held up. They don't fall underneath this route by Nelson Aguilar. Here's the outside leverage corner. Aguilar is going to break on this in cut, and Max just going to hit him for a first down. Easy pitch and catch. Let's do it 50 more times, just like that, right? And, and these are the types of throws that everybody says, oh, it's not impressive. Oh, yes, that, the other thing. I don't care. It's efficient offense. It's good quarterback play. This is similarly on this one as well. We just went shotgun spread, move the chains on third and three, typical Patriots stuff. Now here comes a typical under center play action pass by Mac Jones. You're going to pull the guard here to here. Hunter Henry, he's going to run that over route, crossing behind the linebackers, and Mac Jones is going to put it on him. And we're going to sell this fake. Here comes the play action. Here comes the pulling guard. And as soon as he gets himself back towards the line of scrimmage, the ball is out. And this is something that we talked about a lot with Cam Newton last year, Alex, is that the hesitancy from Cam on these types of concepts really screwed the Patriots offense in a lot of ways because those linebackers were retreating and they were getting back to their coverage assignments in time to be able to contest these passes. Secondly to that, look at the ball placement right? The ball placement to Hunter Henry here is just absolutely perfect. It hits him right on the money. It allows him to brace himself for the hit and turn up field and gain some yards after the catch. Let's watch it from the other angle. And you're going to see just Mac putting the right amount of touch on the ball, but also the right amount of zip on the ball to get this over the linebacker, but allow Hunter Henry to turn up field before that safety becomes a factor or that I think is a corner outside corner becomes a factor. So you just have him lofted over, but with enough velocity and look at the ball placement. It's just a perfect ball and a perfect concept for the Patriots. We've seen the Patriots run those two style of plays a thousand times over the last two decades. And it's not the most aesthetically pleasing. It's not the the sexiest throws, but he's making all these throws and he's making it look easy. And, and I just don't know why that's such a bad thing. Why is play action a, a training wheels for a quarterback when play action is just good scheme for the offense most of the time? Why is hitting a third and three in cut accurately on time in rhythm a bad thing just because it's not a 60 yard bomb. I, I just feel like this conversation is getting so lost in style points and, and having it look good to the, to the naked eye and getting lost in the weeds of that versus what's going to be efficient offense for the Patriots moving forward. Well, I think why that happens and I don't disagree with this, but I, I think why that happens is these, the drives hadn't been finishing in points and that, you know, the, the smaller underneath stuff when you're not scoring, you know, if you're going to, you know, it's like, all right, well, if he's going to incomplete the pass anyway, throw down the field and take a chance. And that's a really elementary view of it. And that, that's not a correct view of it. But I think that's just kind of how some fans see it is, 
you know, what's the difference between a five yard incompletion and a 50 yard incompletion. So it's, it comes down to, again, there's still parts of max game and the offense as a whole, it's a lot of new pieces that need refining. And I, I don't think we can see the full picture yet because it hasn't been rounded out. And I get that there's, you know, some hesitation seeing it not work. And I, I think people just need to be patient and that's not something Patriots fans have ever been able to do. Um, and I understand why, but I think patience is key here when evaluating this offense. So the, I think the points when you, when you run efficiently like this, like the Patriots are capable of doing right. The points I think will come when everything sort of fits together, but it, it, I, I just feel like it's just not, we're getting too caught up in air yards and explosive plays and 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 big flashy downfield throws and losing sight of, of the things that have made the Patriots offense productive on the whole for the last 20 years. And I'm not talking about Tom Brady being a dink and dunk quarterback and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the fact that they have always operated this way, right? They've always operated with a clean, efficient intermediate passing game being the backbone of their offense and they've never been the 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 big play down the field type of offense outside of 07 i suppose right and yeah. and that that that's really why i i am defending mac and am so in his corner because i see not i see so much of the imprint coming together right I, I see so much of the breadcrumbs pointing to the success and once they figure out some of the things around him and once he figures out the nfl game i think that it's all going to start to come in droves maybe it's not this year maybe it's next year maybe it's the year after that i don't know if he's going to win an mvp but i know that it's going to be more productive because the process is good that the process is clean and and the, the only even the negative play that I want to show here in a second is a clean process just on a, a throw that was a little bit off and I, I'll explain why well so just real quick I was going to say it goes back to something I said earlier in the year that I'm still taking heat for about in some ways this season kind of just being one big preseason yeah right? in that again it's about the process it's about the intent it's about what can you learn it's about building chemistry and all of that um I think what was the other thing you said another point but i can't remember what it was oh the other thing it's it's going to transition into the next point i don't know if you have a play but i would just say you talk about other pieces of the process coming together part of the reason they were able to look so effective on sunday is the offensive line oddly enough had their best game of the year yeah so we're going to talk about the offensive line here in a second before we move over to the defense let's talk about this this play right here though um and look at the concern and i, I think when people watch this play for mac jones to me, and I'm not saying that it's not a bad play. It's a turnover-worthy throw. It's nearly intercepted. It's not a good throw. But I think we're discussing it as not a good throw for the wrong reasons, if that makes sense. I think a lot of people are looking at this play and saying, oh, he had to throw off his back foot. And because he had to throw off his back foot, he didn't generate enough velocity on the ball. And this is now an indictment on Mac Jones's arm strength, right? But what in reality is happening is that Mac has enough arm to get this football to where it needs to go. But in order for him to make up for the fact that he doesn't have an arm cannon, he has to get through it faster and he has to get to that receiver quicker. And we've talked about this multiple times already on the show, breaking down these plays that this is about mental acumen with Mac in terms of speeding up his process versus the fact that he doesn't have this big cannon of an arm. So as just breaking down this play before we start rolling it, the 
Texans are giving him a cover two shell, right? You have the two deep safeties here and you have the two underneath flat defenders there. Now we talked about last week in the preview show that the Texans like to run Tampa too. So that means that this middle linebacker here is going to carry the inside vertical route up the chute in a Tampa two structure. And what the Patriots are going to do is they're going to run Jacoby Myers on this under route right into that area. And they're going to run Hunter Henry on the seam splitter on the vertical. So that Mike linebacker can't protect both routes, right? He can't cover both guys. He can either stay underneath with the under route or he can match Hunter Henry up the seam. But regardless, there's going to be an open receiver because he's in conflict. So, Mac Jones makes the right decision. He just doesn't get there fast enough. And and this to me is the Texans saying, we, we know that Mac is not really pushing the football down the field. And we don't think that he's going to rip this ball. So we're going to have this inside linebacker here. He's going to stay underneath and take away the short throw to Jacoby Myers. And as we roll the play, here comes the linebacker. He's coming down and the ball's still in Mac Jones's hands. This ball is out too late. It has nothing to do with arm strength. It has nothing to do with throwing off his back foot. It has to do with anticipation and not throwing the football sooner. Because as soon as this middle linebacker decides to stay underneath and he doesn't flip his hips and turn and run with Hunter Henry, Mac Jones should be able to make this read and anticipate that this throw is going to be open. Because he holds the football for that extra beat in the pocket, now he's throwing a ball into a tighter window because these safeties back here, this safety in uh, in particular, Justin Reed, is breaking on the football already. So if he is, anticipates this throw and throws this ball as Hunter Henry clears the second level of the defense instead of throwing it once Hunter Henry is basically on that red part of that logo, then this is going to be a completion. But because he holds the football just a little bit too long, he now has to throw off his back foot and he just doesn't have the juice to get this there. And it's nearly intercepted. So everyone talks about, Oh, well, when he throws off his back foot, like he does here, he loses velocity and he's, he doesn't have the ability to push the football down the field. And that's true. But the positive note is, is that if he speeds up his process and he speeds up his read and his decision here, then it's not going to matter that he doesn't have the arm cannon, right? And he's going to be able to step into this throw and just make this completion to Hunter Henry. So this, again, is another indication to me that his eyes are in the right place. He's making the right read, and he's making the, uh, the right decision with the football ultimately at the end of the day. That's just an, an example of a throw where he needs to get a little bit uh, through it a little bit faster. And I think that those types of things will come with experience and with more playing time, and he'll be able to iron those things out because that's that's the peak of Mac Jones's ability in the future is being able to see that coverage sooner and getting that ball out and splitting the safeties with Hunter Henry. Once he gets that rolling, then he's going to really, really be a very more than just an, an average quarterback. Right. That's when we're going to start to get into the top 15 conversation of quarterbacks in the NFL. He's just not quite there yet. And again, I think that room is there. So it's just, you know, you can be excited. Just know what you're excited about. But yeah, we've done half the show on Mac. There's a ton to talk about from this game. Let's talk about the offensive line. Can I just make one point on this game as a whole? I said this on on Murph's part is Murph and and, and Claire and Steve. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I, I kind of said it this way because when you, I, I just want to put this disclaimer on all of our takeaways from this game, whether it's the offensive line, the defense, or whatever. Um, I think it's natural human nature that we want answers, and especially this early in the season when we have such a limited sample size, I think it's very easy to kind of look at one game and just describe things that happened in that game to the team as a whole. And look, ultimately, you're, I'm not saying you don't learn anything about a team from watching a game. You absolutely do. It's the only way you learn about a team. But I think on the other hand, there are some games that are just weird. There's yeah. some games that are just stupid and they don't reflect the bigger picture. And that's not as, you know, and, and that can go both ways. That can be a team just, like I would say if I was evaluating the Texans, this, this exact same shtick, that some games, they happened, you laugh about them, you hope they're a funny memory on the Super Bowl DVD, and you move on. Like, I, you know, when people say that, you know, this game is drunk, I think that's actually a perfect example of what we saw Saturday or Sunday, because we've all been through this. You're with your friend, your friend's drunk, your friend says something weird, and then you both just move, like, it, the, 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 the court, you don't put any stock into it. Your yeah. friend said something drunk, you both move on, you act like it didn't happen. To me, this game was kind of just an offhand drunk comment by the Patriots. I really like we can break it down. I because if you want to put stock into this game, we need to talk about overhauling the entire offensive line. But obviously, that's not realistic. So everything from this game, I think, just kind of goes with a grain of salt because it was just it was just one of those games that it just sort of happened. We all experienced it together. We got through it, and that is what it is. Yeah, that's I think that's how I feel. Maybe you feel differently. But that's no, I, that, I think that's a great point because as we turn the page to the offensive line, I think a lot of people come away from this game saying, oh, well, the backup offensive line performed better than the starting offensive line, right? And, and you start right. to, to have that conversation. Now, I think there is a big piece of context that needs to be thrown into that, and that is that the Texans defensive line is probably the worst in the entire NFL from a, a talent standpoint. I think so I think that's like the only place on their roster where they have even outside of Brandon cooks, where they have even a glimpse of talent. Well, I think that that is telling you how bad this entire roster is. Well, that's honest. fair. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Like, I, I mean, yeah. look, it, historically it, bad. Whitney Merciless is is a nice veteran player, but he's not the same guy that he once was. Malik Collins is a decent defensive tackle for them. They just don't have a ton of talent on any level. Zach Cunningham's Cunningham. a good player. Zach, Zach Cunningham's player. a linebacker. Yeah, I'm but talking he, like front seven. Not okay, I was talking linebacker. more about pass rushers, right? Oh, Guys I just meant there. front seven as a whole. Okay. Yeah. So the offensive line performed their butts off. They competed their butts off for four straight quarters. They played extremely well, but I definitely agree that we should not look too much into this. And then all of a sudden start to have conversations about should Yadi Kajus be starting over Isaiah Wynn and, and should J James Ferentz and Ted Karras, should those guys be replacing Mike on and should, like, no, but let, let's be realistic here. The Patriots' best offensive line still involves the four healthy starters, assuming that Wynn and Onwenu and Mason are, are healthy, right? Those four guys are going to be on the, the starting offensive line and deserve to be there. The question now is, does one of the guys that performed well against Houston do enough to elevate into that Trent Brown spot? Or whether it's Ted Karras kicking to guard and on when kicking outside to tackle or Justin Huron just earning it to play right tackle for, for a while. The win conversation 
We yeah, are way too early to bench Isaiah Wynn. You think so? Way too early. Way too early, Alex. We're four games into the season for Isaiah Wynn. He's played good football in the NFL for 18-plus games before that. They just picked up a $10 million fifth-year option on the guy. You're not going to give up on him after four bad games. I mean, that's crazy. If you did that with every single player, then nobody would ever play. If you Every single time a guy was in a bad stretch, you benched him? I, I No, you can't. You can't go there yet. You you have to put I think you really do have to ride it out with guys like Isaiah Wynn. I well, you know, I kind of look at it. We'll see what this team's record is. First of all, I don't know that I'd bench him permanently, but maybe sit him for one more game and you sort of just say, Hey, you know, he, he's getting back if he's the one who tested positive for COVID. Or or even if he's not, like, hey, you know, we had the week off, he needs another week to to get back in shape, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Right. Um, the other thing I'd say is if you do, whether it's Yadni Kajust, whether it's Justin Heron. Haran, if you feel like you have a, a, an equal left tackle, wins a valuable trade piece. Whether it's Marlon Mack, whether it's a corner, like I wouldn't, I'm not saying bench him and never play him again and let his contract toll and lose him in free agency. I'm saying if you have an equal play, if you find out you have an equal player, he's a guy that I think they could look to move. And they do maybe kind of I need to make what some team moves is, right now. What team's paying him $10 million next year based off the product that they put on the field in the first four games? That's the problem is that the team is on the hook for the fifth-year option, right? So you well, better a – team, A team may look at – you just said he played a solid 18 games before this season. A yeah. team may look at that and say, hey, it's just a slump. Here's a chance for us to get a starting caliber left tackle for a discount because – like if you need a left tackle and you don't have a top 10 draft pick, you're going to be paying a lot more than $10 million to get your left tackle. So a chance, maybe you move on from a player or a pick or whatever, and a chance to, to buy a, low I, I guess a potentially I, starting caliber tackle. I think he does. I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is, is I understand it from the other team's perspective more, but the Patriots are selling low on a very good asset, right? I mean, what are the Patriots going to get back in return for Isaiah Wynn? I think oh, it's a real, a real conversation. I, I I'm all set. I, I don't, you don't I, want Marlon Mack. You don't, no. I, they need another run. Whether it's Marlon Mack, whoever they need. I'd much rather, they I much rather. I would much rather give up a day three pick for Marlon Mack than trade my starting left tackle for him. I I understand why everybody's so soured on win and I and he didn't even play in this game, so I don't want to talk about this all that much. But I, I just I really think that 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 this is like getting extremely ahead of ourselves with Isaiah Win because he played a couple of bad games in the first month of the season with a new left guard next to him, a rookie quarterback in the pocket. It, it's we're 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 getting way too crazy. We're we're really jumping the gun on this issue. And I look at the offensive line that played on Sunday. And the two guys that really, really stood out to me, I have something publishing tomorrow about evaluating all of them, were Justin Huron and Ted Karras. I think both of those guys played at a starter level. Yadni Kajust has extremely streaky tape. He has moments where you say, holy crap, this guy's amazing, right? Blocks in the second level, athletic plays in the, in the uh, run game, being able to mirror guys in pass rush situations, some really, really good moments from Yadni Kajus, but the consistency and the technique is not there. He's just very, very raw. 
at this moment in time. So his time, I think, could come down the road. I think we're still premature to put Rodney Kajus in the starting lineup. Justin Huron, the conversation that I would have with him is he played left tackle in college almost exclusively. Is he a better left tackle than he is a right tackle? And that's why he's not playing as well on the right side when they put him over there because he was really solid at left tackle against the Texans. So this is kind of what I'm saying with Win. It's not so much about me wanting to give up on Win. It's that if him and, and Haran are awash, why, like, doesn't that make one of them expendable? That's right. what I'm the problem it's not is, so much that, about me being down on Win. It's the problem is, I, is that you have you have to start somebody at right tackle also. So like on So you want so you think that the line should be Haran, Karras, Andrews, Mason on Wenu, and you're throwing out Isaiah Win already. I'm saying I would. I wouldn't lock into it. I'm not trying to do that today. I'm saying I would try it again and see how it looks because that might with Trent Brown out, that might ultimately be, that might be their best five. That might be their best five right now. Isaiah Wynn plays four bad games and everybody just thinks he's a scrub. I just, I can't get there. But it's not just about that. Even if he's decent, Justin Huron was really good. And like you said, he's a better left tackle than right tackle. You're probably not getting the most out of him playing on the right side. Yeah, no, I can agree with that. I gave him a B plus. I thought he was really good. I thought Ted Karras was really steady as well. Let me ask you this. Let, let me ask, how much of it, and it's just one game. And I, like I said, yeah. there's a caveat on all of this. But like, again, this is why I'm just saying explore it. What was the drop off from what, from like the average Isaiah win? Not what he's been through four games, but the average Isaiah win to what you saw from Justin Huron on Sunday. What was the drop off? There wasn't much drop off, I suppose, to that's my point. Isaiah Wynn's average level of play, but that's I think Isaiah Wynn has faced a lot better pass rushers in his time in the NFL in that average level of play than what Justin Huron was going well, up well, against. Um, the, the, so, what about the, the the stuff independent of that, the technique, the recognition, all of that? It was good. You know, I think the biggest thing that I saw out of Justin Haran that I was impressed by in pass protection, at least, is his ability to get out and cut off angles and make guys go through him. As an offensive lineman, you always want to play squared up to the chest, right? You don't want to have a, a edge that's vulnerable. You want to square up guys and make them go right through you to the quarterback. Cause nine times out of 10, you're not going to be able to go through a 320 pound dude, right? So if you're able to get that body positioning to be squared up on the rusher and force the guy to go through your chest, that's when you can be really sound. And that was what Justin Haran was able to do. And the run blocking situations. I was really impressed by his foot speed. You know, it's the guy that was able to get guys angled off that were trying to slant inside of him or jump inside of him. He got out on the toss to Brandon Bolden. He almost blocked the guy right off the screen, getting out in, in, in front of that and pulling out in front on the, on the crack toss. So having a guy that is, you know, athletic and, and can move around a little bit and get some good explosiveness out of his kick slide, out of his stance. Those are good things about Justin Huron that I really, really liked. His technique was pretty clean, uh, much better on than on the right side with Yadni Kajust. I I think that there's something there with Huron at left tackle. And I it, the only thing that I can think of is that when they flip him over to right, he's just not as comfortable there because the product was so much better at left than it was at right. And if you look at last year as well, when he got into the games at left, he was good at left too. So it, it, he's a left tackle. I, I think that's what it boils down to. 
Yeah, and I mean, so that that's more my point. It's less about win and more about, like, we've seen them do this before. You have two guys are a wash, yeah. more or less a wash. One guy's significantly cheaper. It makes the other guy expendable. Maybe maybe it's a move they make in the offseason. Maybe I'm jumping the gun saying they yeah. potentially explore something at the deadline. But that that's, it's, I'm not saying it a bit, like, the Isaiah wins struggling is actually not a part of why I'm saying this. It conveniently fits in. Um, the other thing with Theron, and yeah, I, I think people sometimes have trouble grasping this. Uh, you know, this was also like with Marshall Newhouse, and obviously Marshall Newhouse struggled, but left tackle and right tackle are two completely different positions. Yeah, it's, and it's, I just think people... it's like if somebody gave you a pen. I'm a righty, right? right? And it's if exactly. somebody gave me a pen and said, "You have to write this essay for the SATs with your left hand. Good luck. Bye." Right? You know, right. It, it, you're playing backwards. Completely, to, everything has changed. You're used to moving to one side. Now suddenly everything's to the other side. So that's yeah. that's also your why hands. You know, at right tackle, your outside hand is your right hand. At a left tackle, it's your left hand. Your post foot is your right foot versus your left. Foot. I mean, it's just completely different. It's, it's back, yeah. yeah. So that's why, and this is more for during the draft, but it's just a teachable moment here for the audience. When we talk about the value in a guy being a swing tackle, not every tackle is a true swing tackle. That's yeah. why. Marshall Newhouse was so bad that year he was here. Well, I mean, like he was older, but he'd been, I'm going to get this backwards because he'd been a, a, what, what was he left or right that year? Why can't I remember? Marshall Newhouse year, played here. left. So he, played year, left. Right. so he had been a right tackle his entire career. And then they brought him in here and basically without any lead up, had him play a new position. So yeah. that's why, like, that's where this is important. That's why a guy like Yasir Durant, even though he's not the best lineman is so valuable because he can capably play both sides. That's why Adrian Waddle was such an underrated player because he could capably play both sides. Not every tackle can do that. It, and from I, people I've talked to, Evan, maybe you've heard differently. It's actually easier to move from left guard to left tackle than it is from right tackle. Oh yeah. Tackle. If you, if you're staying on the same side, then it's definitely easier. Right. So, and that's so a big thing too, where with Mike on Wenu too, I would also say as he played predominantly right tackle his rookie season, and now they're asking him to move to left guard. So not only is he moving inside, but he's also moving to the other side of the line. So a lot of changes for him as well. And he still played pretty well until he got COVID. So, or until he, you know, got caught up in the protocols, I should say. So I, I think that when you look at this line, um, from Sunday, Ted Karras is a steady NFL offensive lineman. He's very technically sound. He's got enough of everything, enough play strength and enough foot speed to be able to hold down the position. He's just not flashy, right? Not, there's nothing on the tape about him that pops out at you. There's no reps that are, that are wow, big time pancake blocks or anything like that. But he gets the job done and he has this a very nice workman's like attitude about him, right? Where he plays hard, he plays tough, he's smart, he's instinctive, he's on his P's and Q's. And there's something to be said for that. The very first third down of the game, they hit Kendrick Bourne on that little slant route over the middle. The Texans threw that blitz that's been giving them all sorts of trouble. The the inside linebacker blitzing and then stunting with the defensive tackle. We've broken it down on here a couple of times. And for the first time all year, David Andrews and Ted Karras passed it off like it was nothing. It was probably the cleanest stunt pass off I've seen out of any offensive lineman all year long for the Patriots. So David Andrews and, is, and Ted Karras kind of fit in that same category of just 
experienced, savvy, smart, instinctive type of football players. And I know everybody loves Yadni Kajus. I know everybody sees the upside. I do as well. I like the player. He's a fun watch. His technique is really, really, really raw. And there's just a, too much of waist bending, uh, poor hand usage, punch timing, uh, things that you look at from a technique standpoint that are causing him to fall off blocks, especially in pass pro, but also as a run blocker, they got inside of him a bunch of times. One of the things that Dante Scarnecchi has said when he was still here that, that always stuck out to me was that when you run block and pass blocking too, but for the most part, the Patriots don't want anybody to get beat to the inside. Whether you're run blocking or pass blocking, the worst thing that you can possibly do is get crossed on your face, right? Get beat into the inside of the formation. Because that, whether it's the quarterback standing in the pocket or it's the running back getting the ball in the backfield, if a tackle or a guard is getting beat across his face to the inside, the play's over regardless, right? So Yanni Kajus got beat way too many times in that vein um, for him to be considered to me ready to be the starting right tackle. I, I think his time will come. Um, I think that he's got a lot of upside and a lot of potential, um, but I, I think Haran greatly outplayed him, and I'd much rather move on Wenu to right tackle and put Ted Karras in the starting lineup before we start throwing Kajus out there. Yeah, and I mean, here's a guy who didn't play football for two years. Like, didn't yeah. even practice. So yeah. if he's a little rusty, that makes a ton of sense, right? Like that's You can't expect any more than that. Okay, so uh, really quickly on the offense, and let's move over to the defense. Uh, where is your panic level with Damien Harris's fumbling issues slash the Patriots' backfield as a whole right now? Uh, I'm a lot higher panic with the backfield as a whole than Damien Harris. That Was, was it Terrence Williams? Who's the safety? Um, Terrence Brooks is he the one that punched it? Out? No, no, no. Whoever punched it out, it was the other Terrence. Hang on, I'll look look it up because I want to give him credit because honestly, that was a great punch out. That was like yeah. Terrence Mitchell. Ter Terrence Mitchell okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. out of uh, veteran, veteran safety. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Harris is two hands on that ball. He's got his chin kind of over it. I mean, he did everything right. That was just, Mitchell punched it out of both his hands. Sometimes defender just makes it like they get paid too, right? That's what Patriots like yeah. to say. Those guys get paid too. Honestly, excellent punch out of the football. Wouldn't be surprised if that guy's in New England at some point in the future. Um, I'm not going to judge Harris too harshly for that fumble. I'm really not. The running backs as a whole, I'm pretty concerned because yeah. they don't have enough bodies. I mean, regardless of how these guys are performing, four running backs with one of them being a primary special teamer is not enough in the NFL. It's just simply not enough. Yeah, I, I've been saying this for two weeks. I wrote about this after the Saints game, why Duke Johnson or Todd Gurley uh, or Lamar Miller isn't here yet. And I know none of those names, you know, maybe some people like some of those names. I know none of them blow you away. But at a certain point, you just need a veteran to make the pieces go, okay? Yeah. None of them are exciting, but none of them are Steven Jackson either. Gurley had 700 all-purpose yards last year. Duke Johnson. I, I love you know, the idea of injury. Duke Johnson. I, yeah. The part that I, that I hesitate with this, Alex, is that we talked to Ivan Fears, we've talked to Bill Belichick about blitz pickup and pass protection and how difficult that is to learn and how difficult that is to nail down in the Patriots system. And I just worry not for if you drop a player into the offense right now and have to hit the ground running – are any of these guys that are either street free agents or like a Marlon Mack, are they going to be able to grasp it fast enough for them to put them on the field and trust them in the situations that they have to trust them in? Because 
to me, the only trade and the only move that makes any sense from that standpoint is calling up Houston and asking for Rex Burkhead back. It's the only move that makes any sense because I don't, I think Marlon Mack is more talented at this stage of his career than Rex Burkhead. I think Duke Johnson's a really good pass catching back that kind of modeled his game after James White's game for years in Cleveland. But the problem is, is that you have all these guys that don't know the system and they're going to have to come in and relearn the whole thing. And I just don't know if there's enough time for that player to make an impact. They're going to, they're going to give you something. My point is you don't need impact. You just need somebody out there. You need somebody that's not Brandon Bolden catching the football. Exactly. And it's nothing against Brandon Bolden, but I, he, I mean, he allowed a sack again. Like you just need somebody who's Duke Johnson. Wasn't a bad pass protector. You're right. He's got to learn it in the, in the context of the Patriot system, but he has the basics down or he feels like he should have the basics down. And it, you know, it goes back to, I like to say there's under Bill Belichick, there's two categories of Patriots running backs, right? There's Antoine Smith and there's Kevin Falk. There's your early yeah. down power back and there's your pass catching back. And they generally have two of each. That's generally how they've operated. They have two of each that they rotate in regularly. Two backs in my mind have broken that mold under Belichick. One's Corey Dillon. And that's just because he was so freaking good. The other is Dion Lewis, who was smaller and quicker, like the third down back, but wasn't a pass blocker. So they used him to kind of spell uh, whoever it was LeGarrette Blunt at the time, but that power back role, that right. to me is that to me is where Deion Lewis should be. He should be spelling Damian Harris. He's not, I just, his size is going to limit him too much. He's not going to be that pass blocker. They need that guy to be. And without James White now, Brandon Bolden's the only other option. Like they need somebody else there to do that. Their top three pass blocking running backs last year were James White, Rex Burkhead, and Sony Michelle. And those three guys are no longer here. So yeah. they just, again, I, I'm not saying, like, you're not signing Duke Johnson to get prime Duke Johnson. You're not signing Todd Gurley to get 2017 Todd Gurley. You're just signing them because they're the best options out there and you need somebody. If yeah. you're not going to trade for Marlon Mack, like, I'm not saying it as in, oh, they need another playmaker. Go get Todd Gurley. He was a playmaker four years ago. Like, that's not why I'm saying that. I'm saying that as they need a running back he's arguably the best option they could get. So they should go get him. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I agree looking at this backfield. I thought Ivan Fears said it best with Ramondre Stevenson that he looked tentative. He looked afraid to fumble in, in that game and wasn't playing yeah. uh, the, as fast and, and wasn't kind of turning it on. There were a couple instances uh, where I thought Ramondre Stevenson let left some yards on the field um, and, and in those situations just because he wasn't really – exploding through the hole right he really wasn't taking it and going and he was kind of hesitant protecting the football I understand it it's probably in in his head and and that's probably fair at this point you get benched like that for kind of fumbling right and and it's obviously going to be in your head so I, I totally get it but this backfield's a mess right now it honestly is Damian Harris is by far their best running back but he is having issues holding on to the football a little bit. They don't fully trust Ramondre Stevenson and J.J. Taylor. That's abundantly clear. They're going back and forth, this guy active, that guy active. Brandon Bolden is Brandon Bolden. I'm not going to sit here and bash Brandon Bolden. He just is what he is. We all know that he is not a factor back, right? He's just somebody that is now occupying those reps that James White left behind because they need somebody to be in that role. So it's just a mess. And if they don't, 
sign somebody and they aren't going to try Johnny Smith in the backfield like I've been clamoring for, then it's going to continue to just kind of be a mess, especially in passing situations. So it's a killer. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it's it's really limiting this offense as a whole. Uh, they can't get this backfield group going. Um, that's almost 50 minutes on the offense. So let's talk about the defense. I want to start by saying, I thought you put it best about how, uh, you know, some games are just weird right? And some games are just wonky. This is one of those games for the Patriots secondary, where I think you go in and on Monday, you make the corrections in the film room, and then you burn the freaking tape. And you just don't talk about it ever again. Because for four quarters, they got their drums beaten by the Houston Texans. And it wasn't, they were better situationally in the second half, right? They were better on third down. They got off the field a couple of times in the second half that helped save that game. But on the whole, they couldn't cover anybody on the Texans for four straight quarters on Sunday. And Davis Mills, it didn't matter that Deshaun Watson didn't play because Davis Mills looked like Deshaun Watson a year ago against his Patriots defense. So I'd also give some credit, obviously, to Davis Mills, but to uh, offensive coordinator uh, Tim Kelly of the Texans clearly has something figured out about the Patriots' coverage system. I, I don't know who gave him the cheat codes to how to beat the Patriots' coverages, but they were able to figure it out two years in a row. So this secondary uh, played their butts off against Tampa Bay. They did not play well at all against the Houston Texans. The number one thing that stands out to me as to why you can just burn this tape and forget about it. And some games are just wonky. Devin McCourty will never play a game like that ever again. That was the worst Devin McCourty game I've ever seen him play. Since I really started watching the film and studying these types of things. And it wasn't so much, about speed everybody wants to talk about oh he's lost a step he's too slow he just was undisciplined he just wasn't he was just undisciplined all right on the first touchdown to more uh with jc jackson elevated to try to pick the pile off for some reason i i don't know where devin mccourty's going on he's such a good player and i just don't know where he was going because he overruns it and he gives up the touchdown and if he just lays the wood there and plays the body if you will instead of trying to do whatever it was that he was doing i think he thought it was overthrown and he was trying to sneak behind the receiver to pick, pick off the ball on the overthrown pass. If he just plays the body there, instead of a 67-yard touchdown, it's a 30-yard completion, and you live to play another day. And then on the Jawan Williams play, again, he goes for the interception. He goes diving uh, from the post-safety position to try to pick off the pass instead of just mitigating the damage. So we will never see Devin McCourty play that poorly again, and I have no concerns whatsoever about Devin McCourty uh, being Devin McCourty because he was fine the first four weeks of the season and he just had a bad game. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Devin McCourty making mental mistakes, that's not – I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that's going to be a problem moving forward. It just, it's a weird, weird game. It happens. And yeah. You move they on. Underestimated Davis Mills. I really think they did. I think they underestimated him a little bit. And I think that they went last week. They were like, oh, we just shut down Brady and the Bucks. This is going to be a walk in the park. And I, I think that they underestimated it. Now, the one thing I will say And I don't think they'll underestimate Dallas because they know how talented Dallas is. This is not a rookie quarterback that just threw four picks against Buffalo the week before. This is Dak Prescott who might win the MVP if he keeps this up. If they play, if they cover like they did against Houston, against Dallas, Dak's going to hang 50 on them in their own stadium, 
Like right. it, 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 it will be an absolute boat race for the Cowboys if the Patriots secondary plays like it did against Houston against Dallas. Yeah, I would, I would say too. But then you look at like what they did against Tampa, and they were so much better. So, so, it's, so it's, how if they how the way they did against Tampa, they'll be fine, relatively yeah. fine. Right. Well, and I think that that also points to a big thing. The biggest drop off in this game was nothing to do with the offensive line. It was Jalen Mills going out and Jawan Williams going in in his place. That was ended up being killer. For some reason, that just ended up being an, a total backbreaker. So I have a working theory on on Jalen Mills, and I'm not ready to like exclaim this is truth yet. It's just something that's occurred to me. Yeah. Um, when they signed Jalen Mills, we all kind of you know. Jalen Mills, an outside corner in Philly for four years, really, really dropped off his fourth year. And then his fifth year, they made him a safety and he played better. And the Patriots signed him and we kind of saw him as a potential Patrick Chung type moving all over the defense, blah, blah, blah. He's played mostly outside corner again here in New England, and he's actually been pretty good. So, you know, I, I, because you know me, I love to look at like, oh, historical context. What, What have they done before that's similar? Again, this is a really lofty comparison. I'm not saying this as Jalen Mills will be this guy. Do you see where I'm going with this? No, I don't. But So people forget before the Patriots signed him, when he was in Buffalo, Stephon Gilmore had some rough years there at the end. He did. And he turned it around in New England. Now, again, I am not saying Jalen Mills will be Stephon Gilmore. That's not what this is. They have good... They're good at developing corners. There's no doubt about it. All I'm saying is it wouldn't be the first time they got a veteran corner who showed progress but couldn't put it all together and turned him into a legitimate top two outside cover corner. I'm saying if Jalen Mills can be 70-80% of what Stephon Gilmore was, they're set. They're good out there. They're good at one of their outside corner spots. Like that, it's just a working thought. Again, I'm not ready to like put pen to paper on this, but you, do you get where I'm coming from? I get where you're, I think what your overarching point is is that the Patriots are good at developing corners, right? Specifically specifically that kind of corner. Cause Jalen Mills, the mold is sort of similar to what you have with Gilmore physically. So I think that I wouldn't go that far, obviously, but I, I think what, the main point is, and a lot of people ask me this question and they say, we know that Belichick's a great coach. We know that he can game plan that this, that, the other thing, but what is, what it makes Belichick so good? Like, what is he so good at? I don't, at the college and pro level, I don't think there's a better coach in the league and yeah, teaching man coverage. The, Belichick is so fr- freaking good at teaching corners how to play technically sound in man coverage, especially press man, but basically all types, whether it's press, soft press, off man, all of it. You play man coverage for Bill Belichick, you morph into a different dude. Like the, he just is so good at coaching that up. And they play divider leverage, you know, outside leverage, the post safety in the middle of the field, the robber at the sticks. They play that coverage better than anybody at any level of football. And Belichick is so good at coaching that up. So I think they're really just an excellent team at developing corner talent. We've known that, right? You know, they have, yeah, Stefan Gilmore is a good example of a guy that be turned into from a good corner to an elite corner. J.C. Jackson, Malcolm Butler, John Jones, uh, now hopefully Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills reminds me a lot of Logan Ryan, and I think that people are going to sit there and, and like roll their eyes and think that that's a that's not a compliment. But Logan Ryan's been a, a solid NFL player for a long long time, so I, he reminds me a lot of that. Doesn't have the the sticky coverage talent that a guy like Stefan Gilmore does, but he's able to be 
in the area enough of the time, right? He's able to be in phase and connected often enough that he's not getting absolutely burned. And the Patriots can work around guys with those types of limitations, right? They, they, they can work around guys that are in the right position more times than not, and they'll figure out how to not get those guys exposed. So I think that that's really a, a good uh, – synopsis of the secondary the positives that i took away from this tape from uh, houston whereas looking at the defensive front seven there was actually some good standout play from some of these guys in the front the front seven was much better in this game than the secondary let me put it to you that way um dante hightower looked like he's on his way back that was the best that he's looked so far this year. He was active. He was reading things out quickly. He was physical. Uh, he was playing the run the way that we are used to seeing Dante Hightower play the run. And if the Patriots get, I don't think that it's not peak Dante Hightower. You know, he's not, he's not at the, at the peak of his form just yet. But if this is a sign of things to come, that Dante Hightower is going to continue to be a good player for the Patriots and be more of this guy moving forward than the guy that we saw in the first couple weeks of the season, then that's going to be a really good development for the Patriots' defense. Yeah, and we kind of talked about this, right, where he was away from football for a year, and yeah. you just naturally got to build back up to it. So it is an encouraging sign to see that coming. Yeah, the other guy, uh, silver lining, Christian Barmore, at an absolute menace in the pass rush. He drew two holding penalties. Uh, he went right around uh, Houston Texans center Justin Britt on a one-on-one. -on -one. I think more so than just watching Barmore beat guys and his technique and stuff like that, you can tell the scheme that they're running for him in these pass rush packages. You can tell how good the coaches think that he is already by the fact that they're trying to find ways to get him one-on-ones in the interior in the pass rush. They did it last week against Tampa Bay. They did it this week against Houston. They are purposely trying to get Christian Barmore on an island so that he can go to work. And that just tells you how good they already think that he is in one-on-one -on -one pass rush situations. Yeah, I, again, I think Barmore's been excellent. I think, you know, between him and Judon, you look at what they added to the defensive line for the near future. Like, he, I know Judon's technically a linebacker, but I guess, you know, pass, rush, front seven, whatever. Uh, I, you got to be excited about that. You got to be excited about what those two guys have shown you. They've been arguably the Patriots' two most consistent players this year. Yeah, Dietrich Wise has been another guy that I think deserves a little bit more love. He's grading out very well in PFF system, much more improved against the run, actually holding up at the point of attack, two gapping, press the guy out, being able to post up and hold your ground and making plays, using that length and athleticism to slip inside of guys sometimes as well. He's been a quietly very good for this team. Maybe not someone that's getting as many press clippings as a guy like Matt Judon, but I think we should start paying attention to Wise a little bit more because he's someone that I've noticed pop off the tape a few times and you've seen him uh, be pretty consistent with his run technique, which is a good improvement because we, we've seen in the past that he's been a guy that they really teams have really picked on and run right at him because he can't hold up in the run game i wouldn't say he's as much of a liability in, in that regard anymore and teams are learning that very quickly yeah i'd, I'd, agree. I'd agree okay i don't know uh, if you have any more to get to right now or so i want to let you like and uh we can talk about matt judon for a second i, I think that the one thing, the biggest takeaway that i have from matt judon and what he's been able to do hang on real quick real quick the Trey Flowers who was just released was the corner, not the one who used to play here. I'm not saying they shouldn't go after the one that got released, but not that it's not that Trey Flowers. 
You guys are better than that. that in the comments. Come on. Trey Flowers, T-R-E, Flowers. See, the, the thing is, that Trey Flowers is pretty relevant for a while, so I get people for not knowing the yeah. two. So I, I give people a pass on that one. But anyway. Trey Flowers is not a Patriots type of corner. He's a he's a, a, a cover three zone defender, not not but a Patriots know, type of corner. The other Trey Flowers in coverage on a regular basis. I'm not even going to get into that. That was that was a dark time. Okay, so let's wrap it up on Matt Judon. I, the biggest thing that stands out to me is not he's been great, right? I mean, he's just been awesome. But the biggest thing that stands out to me is the energy and the attitude that he plays with and he approaches his job with, he is a leader. You know, this is a guy that is an absolute leader for this team more so than just, Oh, you know, he's been great on tape and he's got all these numbers, sacks, tackles for loss, all all these types of things. All that's awesome. But when I watch him play, it's so easy for the Patriots coaching staff. If guys are, are not playing as hard as they think that they're capable of playing to say, just look at number nine right? Like this guy is the guy that everybody else should be emulating because he works hard. He plays hard and he goes out uh, on the podium last week and he easily gave the best pre bucks press conference out of any player on the Patriots, basically just telling Tom Brady, he doesn't give an F who he is. Right. And and you you just see a guy that really just gets it. And I, I think that that's really exciting for many reasons. Yeah, I again on and off the field. I mean, such a good signing. I think that, and and Matt Dahl pointed this out, and I think it's a really good point that part of the reason Patriots fans hated the Ravens fans and the Ravens for years is they had this added. They legitimately thought they could beat any team. Yeah, even when they were obviously the inferior team, they legitimately thought they could beat any team. And I think Judon's kind of bringing some of that mentality to New England. Yeah, which I think is great because I think they need it. I, you know, for everything he's done on the field, he's half a sack off the league lead what he's doing as the voice in the locker room i think is just as important i mean they found a new leader they found a new voice and you can't help but love the tone he's set just a home run signing in every possible sense i think there's a hundred percent chance that next year matt judon is a defensive captain put it to you that way can they make him a captain like now during the season i don't know but he is somebody that has just the whole locker room has really gravitated towards the guy. And he is a really, really darn good football player. So the Patriots made a home run signing there. I think a lot of their signings, um, I, I know some people ha- have some quips about Nelson Aguilar still, I'm sure the fact that he hasn't created the big plays down the field that maybe they wanted, but a lot of these guys that they signed in the offseason that are starting to come together. You know, uh, Hunter Henry had a great game against Houston. I think he's really starting to develop a rapport with Mac Jones. Uh, Matt Judon had a great game, a great start to the season, great leader. All the things we just talked about with him. Jalen Mills has been really solid for them. Uh, Kendrick Bourne has been a, a really good addition. They, they paid him right. They valued him right. He's done what he's been asked to do and done what his pay level would ask him to do as well. And he's been really solid for them. The Really the only guy that, that looks like a, a, a gross overpay right now is Janu. And I think that Janu's still just got to figure some things out in the system and where exactly he fits into the puzzle. But outside of that, I, I think that a lot of these signings are – are starting to come together a little bit, right? You're starting to, to yeah. see those guys start to catch on and, and understand where their roles are. Yeah, and, and we talked about this kind of at the beginning, that there was going to be a feeling out process with all these new players. Yeah. We talked about on the offensive side of the ball. It's true on the defensive side of the ball as well, and it feels like they're really starting to get there. 
Okay. All right. Let's move on uh, to next week with Dallas Cowboys. And just this game does scare me. I'm not going to lie. If the Patriots defense plays like it did against Houston and they'll be in trouble, but the Dallas defense can be had. I think that this is a game where if you're Mac Jones and the Patriots offense, there's been breadcrumbs, there's been hints, there's been flashes, but you go up against an offense like Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, the defense held Tom Brady to 19 points. Uh, you can't expect the defense to do that again against another high-powered offense, right? The, the defense, you got to, if you're the Patriots offense, this has got to be a game where you wake up and step up and start to score some points and put some points on the board. Yeah. So when the Cowboys are playing in a game and the ball is thrown, exciting things happen. And what I mean by that is they not only have, I think they're, they're second in the league in passing yards, yeah, they're also bottom five in passing yards against. So, but they lead the league in interceptions. Yeah. So either they're throwing it deep, or you're throwing it deep, or you're throwing it deep and it's picked off. But yeah. Anyway, the point being, I think the game plan is going to be relatively similar to what they did against the Cowboys. Or sorry, to what they did against the Bucks. Yeah. In that you're, you know, the best bet is to take the ball out of Dak's hands. At the same time, I think Dallas is better equipped to run the football. Than Tampa yeah. was, and they'll be able to do more. Yeah, but Tampa's uh, Dallas's defense is much worse than Tampa's defense, so I think there's a chance this turns into a high-scoring version of what the Tampa game was, and what that would mean is Mac Jones goes toe to toe with an MVP candidate, and that would be awesome. That would be a ton of fun to watch. So. <sighs> You know my feelings on Dak. You know my, how much I love Dak. And he's just elevating his game more and more every year. And, and this year he just looks on a different level. So it's going to be a fun matchup to watch. A couple of years ago, Bill Belichick was able to really shut Dak down. It was an ugly day, though. It was rainy and, and muddy and all that kind of stuff. So maybe the Patriots can hope for some weather like they got against Tampa Bay. And that might even the playing field uh, a little bit. And Alex, do you want to shout out the Red Sox real fast? We, we can do a, a minute on the Sox. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Get on board. I It looks like it's going to be the Astros. It was like 5-1 when I just turned that game off before we came on here. Uh, this is what I, I've been saying. The AL is an even playing field all the way across. They can beat anybody, and it looks like the, the Dodgers might get knocked out. And I, I like their chances. I like their chances as much as anybody still in it right now. Get on the bandwagon. These last two games have been incredible. This team is resilient. They have momentum. You got to love it. Yeah. Love Bloom, as you know, gives all of us nerds everywhere that love analytics a little bit of hope that we could actually run our own team. That's very cool. I love that. I think Alex Cora has some sort of special magic with this team. I, I really do. I think the players just play harder for him compared to, to other managers that the Red Sox have had, and they really just want to win for the guy. So really uh, nothing bad to say at all about the Red Sox. ALCS, here we come. It's really exciting to have a Boston sports team back in deep in a playoff run again, right? I mean, the Bruins almost got there this past year, but didn't get over the hump of the second round. Now we have a Boston sports team back in a championship series, and that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I, I did the math last night. I'm 27 years old. It's the 32nd time one of my teams is going to play for a chance to play in the championship. That's pretty freaking cool. 
That's pretty cool. So go Sox. Alex and I will be back on the podcast on Friday morning to preview Patriots Cowboys. Should be a good one down at Gillette Stadium, and we'll have you covered all week long here on Patriots Press Pass as well. A lot of uh, news and notes, I'm sure, to get to offensive line injuries, COVID updates, things like that. So keep it right here on Patriots Beat and Pat's Press Pass all week long, heading into Patriots Cowboys at Gillette Stadium on Sunday afternoon. But until Friday, signing off for Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody, and go Sox.